Oh, man. You guys might be thinking the same thing I'm thinking. And what in the world is the basketball coach doing up here? And I have no idea. That was the same answer when I was, you know, when I was interviewing for the job here. And they asked, hey, a lot of people ask, hey, how did you get a head coaching job? It's really competitive. It's really, really hard to get one. And uh, I couldn't even tell you how I got the job here. I was an assistant coach for nine years at four different universities, and I never really even had to interview because uh, I always worked with my friends. And this job came up, and my boss said, hey, did you see the job at Concordia opened up? I think that'd be a good spot. I said, uh, you know, he thought, you know, I think you can start winning there. You know, they haven't done much in their sports programs, but I think it's, you know, a, it'd be a great spot back in Orange County where you grew up. And so... Uh, I put my name in the hat, and there was, and I got an interview. There was four other, uh, there was four of us interviewed, and I thought I'll nail this. And I found out something. You know, when I found out interviewing is hard. Um, take Trish Olry's class, and you know, work at that because I got my butt kicked in the interview. Um, came in fourth, and I'm not exaggerating. I did not get a bronze medal even. They offered the job to three other people. And fortunately, they all turned it down. They all said... <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is 100% true story. Um, that is how I got the job here. Three other people turned it down. They were like, uh, hey, we'd like to offer you the job. Please take it. And so uh, they all said the same thing. I don't think they can win there. I don't think the administration's committed to winning there. We can't win there. So they turned it down. Didn't take it. And... Uh, I guess Dr. McDaniel, we proved him wrong, didn't we? We won our first national championship in the California NEI since 1941 in our second year. And then baseball won one, and softball won one, and volleyball won one, and everybody's killing it now, and we're about to go crush this new conference, too. So, yeah. Everybody's doing good. I mean, lacrosse, I don't think they've lost a game in, like, five years. So, um, but I'm not here to talk about my team or any other teams here. I'm, talk I'm here to talk about the greatest team that's ever been assembled in history. And it's not the 92 uh, Dream Team, original. No, it's not them. I'm talking about uh, Jesus handpicked 12 guys, uh, that team that went out and literally changed the world. They just didn't win a few games. Um, uh, that's what they did. And I love, uh, we love winning here and all that, but really uh, putting together a true team to me is more satisfying than even winning. Um, not just, I'm not talking about a regular team. Most teams don't really become a true team. You know, I don't just want 12 guys or 15 guys to come here and play college basketball together. I'm talking about a real trust and brotherhood that can be forged through a, the tough trials and adversity of a season that results in friendships that can last a lifetime. That's a real team. And this team uh, did more than that. Um, if you were going to pick 12 guys like Jesus was going to pick, would, how would you do that? Would you go to the best universities, pick the best and brightest? Would you go to the, select uh, some of the top businessmen in the world? Would you get the top religious leaders? Well, he didn't do any of that. Um, kind of an interesting group he picked. Four of them, at least, were fishermen. Uh, one was a tax collector, one was a zealot, and if you don't know what a zealot was, a zealot was a guy, you know, they came in an interesting time, it was the uh, most ruthless empire and dominating empire that's ever ruled the earth, the Roman Empire, 
And uh, zealots hated the Romans so much they dedicated their lives to uh, violently overthrow the government. So that was one of Jesus' guys. Um, so we have one guy trying to overthrow the government. You know, he, they might have called him a terrorist back then. And you have another guy who's a, a tax collector who's essentially sold out his own people and working for the government. So normally these guys would hate each other and beat each other's throats, but Jesus called these guys together, changed them, and, you know, called them to love one another to go out and really reach the world. So if you were God, um, one thing when you read the Bible, you realize God doesn't do anything like we would do it. You know, if you were God and you wanted to touch the world, how would you go about that? I mean, you were God, you could literally do anything, right? Would you open up the heavens and poke your face through and say, hello world, I'm God, and I want you to believe in me? Or would you, and just kind of stay there for the rest of history so that people could see you? Or would you send out thousands of angels to go do your job who'd gladly do that and get the word out? Um, you know, it's interesting that God chose to reach people primarily through other people. So I say this because, you know, God is still looking for men and women to reach our world. Can we put the list of the team up there? There they are. Okay, you might know their names. I don't know how well you guys know them. I'd like to, if you don't know these guys or know much about them, I'd like to introduce them to you today. So here it is. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Pat, uh, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphys and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So the list begins with the first four who were kind of Jesus' inner circle, the team captains and, you know, kind of the first four that he called. These guys were all fishermen. And uh, first and foremost, Simon Peter. He's the most well-known and, uh, you know, relatable guy because, you know, if you've ever said something stupid or put your foot in your mouth, you can really, uh, you know, take comfort in Simon Peter. He was constantly doing that. Um, you know how you have inside thoughts and outside thoughts, and God has given most of us a filter. Um, Peter did not have a filter. He literally was blurting things out constantly, um, always getting him in trouble. But you know, it's nice to have a guy like Peter around. If you have, I mean, I've, I had a teammate like that who would, who would just say what everybody else was thinking. And isn't that nice when, you know, everyone's thinking it, but everyone's too afraid to say it, and then you got a guy like Peter who will just say it. Uh, we had a teammate that would call out, his, uh, call out us as teammates if we weren't doing our job. He'd call out the opponent. He'd even call out the coaches uh, if he thought they were off. So uh, it is nice. And that's how Peter was, always, uh, you know, uh, never afraid, fearless, fearless man. And even uh, he was such a strong leader, and Jesus was going to uh, use him mightily to be, to be the start of the, of the church um, but he had to be humbled and learn not to rely only on his talents. You know, the last night of Jesus' life, he uh, was trying to prepare the disciples for the most difficult test they were going to face. And, you know, he was trying to talk to all of them and tell them about what was about to happen. And Peter just, you know, blurts out like he always did. You know, even if everyone else falls away, I never will. And uh, you all know that Jesus said, hey, you know, before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times. And he sticks to his guns and says, even if I have to die with you, I'll never do that. 
And then he learned that lesson never to say never, right? And we do know how miserable he failed that night. And he had to be humbled more than any of us will ever have to be probably because of the third time uh, when he denied him, Jesus looked right at him. And it says he went out and wept bitterly. But, uh, you know, he's a great example of when you get knocked down to get back up. Jesus was recommissioned. And it was Peter that gave the first sermon of the early church, which resulted in 3,000 people giving their lives to Jesus on that first day of the church. Uh, He preached 30 more years before being arrested for the last time. And church tradition tells us he was forced to watch his wife be crucified first while he was sat there and had to watch that whole thing. And then he was, when it was his turn, he chose to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to be, didn't feel worthy to be, uh, die in the same way as his Lord. Peter was a bold hero for the faith. Peter had a lesser known brother named Andrew. So, you know, have you ever known anybody that had a, you know, that was known for their older brother or known for, you know, that's so-and-so's son or that's, uh, well, Andrew lived that way. He was, he was always Peter's brother. It was never Andrew. Um, Peter, uh, Andrew was the first disciple to be called. And you would think if a lot would be tempting for a lot of person that lived in someone else's shadow to, to want that for himself, but not, uh, not Andrew. It says the first thing Andrew did is he went out and got his brother Peter and brought him to Jesus. And that was kind of what Andrew was always doing. He was a quieter guy, but he was always bringing people to Jesus. There was a story of the feeding of the 5,000, and uh, Andrew brings the boy to, the, to, the, uh, to Jesus to, to, uh, and says, here's, here's the loaves and fish that Jesus used to multiply. A man came from Greece, and it was Andrew that brought him to Jesus. And that was kind of, he was kind of the go-to guy to get to him. And we often celebrate the Simon Peters and leaders of the world but we don't, you know, we don't often celebrate the Andrews. And without Andrew, there would be no Peter. So he's kind of the model for all quiet, humble workers who you know, get the job done without needing the credit. Andrew uh, was, was, uh, became a, a bold preacher as well. And he went out and preached all over Greece where he was uh, lashed. He, he offended Nero and he was lashed to an uh, X-shaped cross instead of being nailed to the cross where he hung for two full days uh, preaching the whole time, leading people to the Lord till the very end of his life. Then we come to James and John. Now these guys were, these guys were crazy guys. They had a nickname called the Sons of Thunder. And you don't really get a nickname like that unless you deserve it. You know, we come of us have gone to high school with somebody that had a name, you know, Animal or Psycho. Guys, they'll do anything, be the first guy in. Well, these guys had the, they were the Thunder Brothers. So uh, they were, they were hot tempered. That's kind of why they got that name. There was one time where uh, Jesus was preaching to a Samaritan village and no one, and the people weren't responding. And these guys actually said, they said, Jesus, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and consume them? And Jesus is like, uh, no, guys, you don't understand what spirit you're of. That's not what we're, came here to save people, not fry them. These were the guys, though, that Jesus spent the most time with. Was it was because they were the most spiritual, or maybe they needed the most attention? They were the most bold ones. Um, when Jesus healed Jairus' daughter, he took only Peter, James, and John. When they were on the mountain of Gethsemane, they took Peter, James, and John. And when uh, we was in the uh, Garden, of Garden of Gethsemane, he took Peter, James, and John. So these guys were uh, his inner circle. These guys could be really, really insensitive. 
First time Jesus predicted his death, he was, he was telling his disciples what was about to happen, that he was going to be betrayed to the chief priests, condemned to death, handed over to the Gentiles, and they're going to mock him, spit on him, flog him, and crucify him, and three days later he rise. So how would you react if, you know, Jesus dropped that bombshell on you? You'd probably sit in stunned silence. Not these guys. They go, teacher, we have a question. We want you to do anything you'll ask for us. Not a good time to ask that. Probably not. Um, Jesus said, all right, what do, you, what do you want us to do for us? Well, we want to sit at, uh, when you come to glory, we want us at your right hand and one of at your left. I mean, that'd be like, uh, can we get a little sensitivity? I'd be like a faculty member saying, hey, I just found out I had cancer and I've got three months to live. And, you know, hey, can I have your office? You know, these guys, uh, they were crazy. This could have been a real dividing time. The disciples were furious at him for, uh, for asking that special place. And uh, here's where Jesus gives the greatest uh, example of how to lead and how to have a team uh, ever. He says, the, the rules of this world exercise authority over each other, but it shall not be that way with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So basically he's saying, hey, the world tries to step on each other. But if you want to be great, you have to be the servant. And that is the, uh, the model for all churches, teams, uh, and any kind of, anyone who wants to lead and have impact for God. You have to be a servant leader. James, interesting, was the first disciple of the Twelve to be martyred. He was beheaded by King Herod. And John was the only one that did not... Uh, die a loyal death. I, I, I was, if I could be anybody, I would love to be John. John was the, the most loyal one. I love uh, loyalty. I wish I was, I, that's what I aspire to be. I'm not. And, uh, you know, he was the only one that stayed with Jesus the whole time and didn't leave the cross, took care of Jesus' mother and didn't run. Let's look at Philip and Nathaniel. I think it's important to look at these, uh, this team and, um, you, know, why, you, know, you know, we're here at a Christian university. This is, these are the guys that started it all and how bold and radical they were. And we don't often know much about them. And uh, I think it's great to see how incredible they were. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Galilee. You know, Philip was one of the few. Normally, God reaches people through other people. Uh, but Philip was called directly by Jesus. There was two disciples that Jesus handpicked, and Philip was one of them. It says, Jesus went out and found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him who Moses and the law and the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God, son of Joseph. Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. He saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, Because I said to you, you saw, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You will see greater things than this. So that's an interesting dialogue there. Um, first thing uh, that's notices, you know, he says, Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Why would he say that? Well, Nazareth was a city that was known for being a wicked city. Uh, if you were to put this in modern terms, it'd be like, uh, you know, what's a city known for 
problems with Las Vegas, right? Be like, if the Messiah came today, we found the Messiah and he's from Las Vegas. Messiah Messiah's from Vegas? So uh, that's what uh, they were doing that. And so he found Philip and he said, uh, we went to Nathaniel. Why would uh, Nathaniel uh, come so quickly too? Just because he said he saw him under the fig tree. Maybe, I think it's because Philip was probably under that tree saying a little prayer or something. I think he was uh, probably saying, God, if you are real, I want you to show yourself to me. You know, I grew up uh, not knowing anything about Christianity at all, and I started going to a Bible study, and it was kind of different for me. And I, you know, when I started asking questions and seeing, I, I said, you know, how do I know this is all true? And that's what they told me to do. They said, why don't you, why don't you uh, pray a prayer to God and ask God if you if you are real, show yourself to me. And I did that. And uh, Philip might have done something like that. And Jesus said, I heard that prayer, and here I am. And he just and he and he knew right away. They got to answer that prayer. These two guys were buddies. They always are paired together, and they even remain friends to the end. Uh, Philip and, and they both uh, preached out in Turkey. Philip was crucified. Bartholomew was skinned alive before he was beheaded. The other uh, disciple, we said two were handpicked. Um, We'll get to Matthew in a minute. Uh, the next one is Thomas on the list. You know, we know Thomas for being a, a doubter. And I think, I think Thomas, though, was more of a skeptic. I think he's kind of wrongly criticized for that. Skepticism isn't always a bad thing. I think I was, I was definitely a skeptic. I wanted to know for myself. I didn't just believe because everyone else around me believed. Um, or, you know, I wanted to know for myself. And I think that's what Thomas was, was, uh, was, more, was more like. Um, we all know he missed the first appearance of Jesus. Everyone else was there, and he was missed it. And the next day, they said, hey, Thomas, where were you last night? You'll never guess what happened. Um, you know, Jesus showed up, and he said, yeah, right. I'll believe that when I put my hand in his side and, and see the wounds for myself. Well, the next time Thomas was there, and uh, guess who shows up? Jesus shows up and said, hey, Thomas, what were you saying? And... Uh, and Thomas falls down and says, my Lord and my God. So he did believe when he was presented with the facts. He just wanted to know for himself. Matthew was the uh, other one that was called directly by Jesus. Now, we said earlier he was a tax collector. It's hard for us to imagine how hated these guys were. Um, think of an ambulance-chasing lawyer who... Uh, moonlights uh, mixed with a used car salesman who also has a telemarketer at night and you get sort of a semblance of a tax collector. No one hated, everyone hated these guys. No one wanted to hang out with them. The only ones that would hang out with them were other tax collectors. Uh, today that would be like kind of like being a referee. No one wants to be around you, so you have to hang around only refs. I think Matthew was probably raised in a very religious home. Um, I mean, how did Matthew get like that? Why would he just sell us people and uh, choose to live that life? I don't know if it would be worth Maybe he wanted to just chase money, but we do know that in his gospel, uh, he had 99 references to the Old Testament. So one would think that he, he was raised in a very religious home. A lot of people I've found um, that, are, that are strong and, and uh, stern atheists, a little bit angry about it, usually those people were raised in religious homes and saw some form of hypocrisy. 
Um, it sets them on the wrong course and really discouraged. I always felt like that was an advantage for me, uh, being raised in a not, not a religious home hardly at all. And uh, so when I see someone that's a hypocrite, it doesn't really affect me that much. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't offend me. Um, Jesus said, follow me, don't follow my followers. He said, follow me. So um, I think that's probably what happened with Matthew. I don't think anyone wanted Matthew on the team. Um, and so Jesus had to go get him himself. It says in the Bible, so uh, Matthew was up there sitting in his booth, probably thinking, you know, man, I'd like to be uh, a part of something like that, but no one would ever want me. So uh, Jesus kind of shows up. There's a big crowd. Jesus had already been speaking for a, for a full year, and uh, Matthew was probably one of the last guys to be added. And, you know, there's Matthew up there sitting, and then all of a sudden there's a big crowd coming in, and then he sees Jesus, and Jesus is looking right at him. And uh, the Bible said that the, the Greek word for that is he actually was staring right through him. Have you ever had someone stare right through you? <laughs> Let me rephrase the question. Do any of you have a mother? <laughs> you ever come home at night from uh, high school at late and they're staring at you? Have you been drinking? Where have you been? That's kind of how he was looking at him. And uh, Jesus said two words that would forever change Matthew's life. He said, follow me. And Matthew got up, left, uh, left everything, and bolts up from his table and follows him and never looked back. And of all the disciples, there's no question, uh, Matthew was, was the most wealthy and gave up the most wealth. And he considered that a great privilege um, to do that. Isn't it nice that you see that God kind of sees the finished product in all these people? You know, in Peter, we would have seen a, an impulsive, you know, man who can't keep his mouth shut. And uh, Jesus sees the rock that he's going to build his church on. John's a hot-headed, quick-tempered man who uh, ends up becoming the most loyal disciple and the disciple of love. And whoever once wanted to fry people ended up, you know, loving people later. Matthew, a total sellout as everyone saw him. Uh, Jesus saw as a devoted servant who would dedicate his life to trying to reach people and be a servant to others. Matthew went on to preach in Persia, Ethiopia, where he was staked to the ground, uh, impaled through a, with a stake uh, before he was beheaded. So what about us? Uh, do we want to be changed? God is still looking for, uh, you know, I think we, you know, the, how, how real this is. When I started going to church, I just didn't, you know, I just, I kind of went through life thinking, you know, if, if there is a God, I'm a nice kid, I'm going to go to heaven. Um, but when you see, uh, when you start investing, I started thinking about uh, Jesus' team and reading about it. And would these guys all have died these deaths and dedicated their lives if what they knew was a lie? So I think uh, it's real evidence that, you know, these guys were so bold that, and went out and changed the world. Um, you know, you can kind of see a bits of yourself. Are you an outspoken person like Peter? Are you more reserved like Andrew? Uh, are you quick-tempered like James and John? Are you a little more of a skeptic like Thomas? You're not living the life you should be living like Matthew? You know, God knows you, he has made you, and he wants you to be the best you you can be, and he can do that with you, and he can transform your life and use you to touch our world right now. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and live it to the full. So uh, 
With him, you can be that whole person that you were made to be. And uh, I'm here to tell you that has happened. I'd hate, to think of, I'd hate to think of what I would be like if I hadn't known him for the last 30 years. I'm getting old. Um, and if you're at that point right now where you're not sure if God is real, pray that prayer. Um, pray that prayer. Ask him to prove himself to you, show himself to you. Uh, if, you know, boldly pray that prayer quietly. I guarantee you he will come through on that and answer that prayer if you pray that for a sincere heart. Uh, let's bow our heads. Let me uh, close us in prayer. God, thank you for your word that has lasted all these, these thousands of years. There's so much we can learn from it. Um, it's such an honest book. You show uh, all the heroes of the Bible are, are shown. We see all their flaws and their, uh, and their tremendous mistakes. Uh, makes us know that you can use any of us. I pray that you would prove yourself to those who don't know you, that want to know you. Um, Make this a great, uh, great year at Concordia of learning, of competing, and of uh, seeking to become the whole people you want us to be, Lord. Thank you for this time. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen.